You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to a new season of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Adrian Clark, the Tactical Analyst, and Don Fifield of The Athletic. So, this is the new normal. Lionel Messi leaves Barcelona because they're more than a billion pounds in debt. No wonder the farewell to the world's best footballer felt like a state funeral. The depressing predictability of his probable move to PSG should make any football fan weep. The Premier League, meanwhile, ups the ante. Manchester City pay a British record fee of £100 million for Jack Grealish. Chelsea almost matched that to bring Romelu Lukaku back to Stamford Bridge. And as for Harry Kane, he's the central figure in a transfer saga from hell. Dom, money is speaking louder than ever, isn't it? Yes, and I guess that was inevitable. While we spent most of the pandemic saying that most clubs are are cash strapped there will always going to be a few that found a way of getting through it all not not least because uh, they're backed by small states or oligarchs etc etc but I think the Barcelona situation in particular is is the most shocking to witness on the outside because you, you to see an institution like that that has been so badly managed to have a, a a wage bill, I think it was 671 million euros back in 2019-20. And, and it's, you know, they were charged with trying to get that down to, to nearer 200 million euros for this year, which is utterly infeasible. I mean, impossible. And and it's culminated in in the, the loss of their talismanic player, the, the, the player that, that probably La Liga needed most of all to survive and, and to retain some of its pizzazz and, and razzmatazz, etc. But it's, yeah, money talks and it, it's, it, it all boils down to that in the end. And it's no surprise to see the big spenders in the Premier League and, and which clubs are, are going out there and, and spending huge amounts of money. And it's what it makes for competition in the season ahead, I think is fairly predictable. Yeah, I think that's the case. You know, let's look in at Grealish. His wages, £115 million over six years. Uh, some merciful man has actually translated that to £369,231 a week. Good luck to Grealish for that. But isn't that the sort of salary that's an illustration of the, the completely skewed nature of modern football? It really is, yeah. There are just not too many clubs on on the planet that can come anywhere close to, to matching that. You know, so... There may have been other clubs that, that wanted to take Grealish on, but but who out there really would be able to pay three hundred and seventy grand a week over over a six year period? It's it's some investment, but look, he's a good player, and and, and I guess what must rankle to to City's rivals here is that they didn't really need a Jack Grealish player on the face of it, because I think we can all see that that a central striker should be the number one priority for them. But but yeah, look, they've. They've got a player that's at his peak of his powers and I don't think they'll regret the investment. I think he's, he's a class act, something a little bit different. He'll, he'll add plenty of quality, things that, that City lacked to some degree in terms of creativity when Kevin De Bruyne wasn't out. And I think 
I think that's the crux of it. And if you, if you to simplify it, you, you've got to say that Kevin De Bruyne has played over the course of the last three seasons, not much more than half a season each time. And when he's been out, they haven't looked quite as good. And Jack Grealish comes in, his stats are right up there with Kevin De Bruyne from last season creatively. He was just behind him for minutes per assist. He created more chances in open play. So, so, so Jack Grealish is a great fill-in for Kevin De Bruyne. But when they're both available, when Foden's available, it's it's a dream team, isn't it? Some fill-in, eh? You know, half an hour at Wembley in the Community Shield, you can't read anything into that. And you know, that game itself was a was a bit of a non-event. What do you think he'll bring to City specifically? when it all settles down, Dom, where do you think he'll fit? It's a really good question because they've got so many players, those sort of creative, free-spirited midfielders that, that, that could really be, operate anywhere across their their front line. They could even probably operate as, as a false number nine if, if Harry Kane didn't, didn't rock up at the Etihad as well. I suspect there might be a period where he actually spends an awful lot of time on the bench to, to begin with, and and then gets sort of drip fed into the team, and and will make an impact. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they are buying somebody who who knows the Premier League really, really well, and it's not going to have an issue on that front. I think it's more about him adjusting to what Pep Guardiola wants his players to do. The process of Guardiola improving Jack Grealish has already begun. I mean, it's it, that that's that started from the moment he signed on the on the dotted line and he will be a better player for the, the experience that he's about to have at the at the Etihad Stadium but but I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd be surprised if actually he was nailed down to any one position I, I mean he'll I think he'll operate he could operate in the three in midfield he could operate across the front three he could operate wide if he wanted to he could come play as a 10 it's the same dilemma that that Gareth Southgate had over the summer but but Pep Guardiola's got it with probably slightly better players Mm. You know, we're all inevitably making some degree of, of comparisons with in terms of transfer or transfer strategy between Jack Grealish and, and Harry Kane. You know, I thought Aston Villa as a club handled the Grealish situation really well. You know, himself or his people, you know, Grealish had legally binding assurances that he could go if Villa were offered a, a hundred million by a club in the Champions League. Whereas Harry Kane, you know, he's citing a gentleman's agreement to leave Spurs, but that's never going to stack up, is it, Aid? <laughs> I guess not. No, it's it's not as good as, as the deal that Grealish had in place, that's for sure. Wasn't it wasn't it great, by the way, that Aston Villa came out and explained to, to their fans the exact circumstances, the background and the history of that particular contract situation. I thought that was brilliant and, and, and I'd like to see more of that really from, from Premier League hierarchy if, if that's possible. But yeah, no, Kane, if Kane hasn't got any clause in there and I don't I don't believe that he has, then then that word doesn't really count for a lot. All I will say is that when a player does you know speak out and and, and, and express their desire to leave, then it very rarely ends with that player staying knuckling down and deciding hang on yeah I will stay forever it's it's all right after all no, normally this after a standoff the clubs cave in and, and they end up selling him and I, I just think that Daniel Levy is just looking for the biggest price possible I, I cannot see how Harry Kane can stay at Spurs this season given that, that, that he's made it crystal clear he wants out and it's not too good for Nuno Espirito Santo either, is it? He wants to move on. He wants to get a, t- a group of players that are together fighting for the same cause. And to have the captain wanting out and just hanging around or being forced to forced to stay is, is not ideal in my view. They have to they have to come to some kind of compromise, Spurs, City and Kane. But we, we have to interject and just sort of say, is Kane likely to agitate? I mean, do, do you look at him and think this is a person that's going to throw his toys out the home. I, 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 when it first emerged that he might have 
skipped the first week of training and, and not being it was a shock really that that sort of spread around across the media and through the fan base because it was so out of character and it it now appears as if there was probably a bit more to that situation than simply him mm. going out on strike but if a gentleman's agreement has been broken and a, and, a, and a promise a verbal promise look yeah give us one more year and if if one of the big guns comes in for let's say 125 million or above we'll sell you or if we're not in the champions league we'll sell you then then Kane is within his rights, isn't he, to, to kick off. And, yeah, it, it does go against his character, but that option is always up a player's sleeve, isn't it? And although he would hate to have to do it, I believe that his ambition to win trophies, to go and, yeah, j- j- join a, a superpower, will, will, will trump it in the end. And I think that that is what he has up his sleeve to use against Spurs. And do you know what? Even though I hate to see it, I wouldn't blame him for it if if that promise has been broken, whether it's verbal or not. The only other gentleman's agreement that, that sort of regularly gets quoted in the in the Premier League is Wilfred Zaha and the, the, with the gentleman's agreement he was supposed to have struck with Steve Parrish. That was three seasons ago. He's, I don't think anybody could commit could could say that Wilfred Zaha's commitment has has wavered in the last three years. No. He had one one game against Everton after handing in a transfer request where he didn't start, but he came on for the last ten minutes and was still the best player on the pitch. And he's got another two years after this contract. Kane's got three. I, I don't think he will go anywhere. Yeah. I think he's. I think. I think but it's his last chance, Dom. Yeah. It's, I, all I say is that age wise, was he twenty eight now? Yeah. I think it's his last chance to. To, to make this big move this summer. For, and it's the last chance, really, for Spurs to get the mega money. I think the, as soon as you start approaching the, the 30s, then that fee yeah. will go down, won't it? So, so yeah, when, when you're in boxed into a corner and you know it's your probably your last chance for that move and you know that the champions want you and no doubt they will pay him upwards of £370,000 a week, <laughs> then, look, some things are worth striking for. <laughs> and, and I would suggest I would suggest that, that in Harry Kane's situation, it would be worth agitating for the move. I don't like to see it, but, but yeah, you, you have to come to a compromise, I think, if you're in, in Spurs' situation. It, Nuno will not want this to, to linger on for too long. Well, Nuno is apparently planning to have a, quote, socially distanced, close quotes, discussion with him at training on Monday. So that'll be, uh, be interesting to be a fly on that particular wall. Oh, where's, where's the all or nothing documentary? Tom, what about, you know, and, and you alluded to it there. He's a very, very pleasant guy, Harry Kane. What about the reputational damage that's being done here. You know, he's England captain, which has a certain cachet and one would say probably a certain responsibility. Can all that damage, which I think is probably quite real, can that be eased by an uneasy compromise? And, you know, frankly, I think we've just gone too far for for him to climb down, haven't we? I, I thought that when I thought that Harry Kane, when the impression was that Harry Kane had gone on strike, I thought that that is you burning your bridges at a club and uh, you are the the local lad, the you know the, the the talisman within the the icon within that that squad and that and that club burning his bridges. But but it doesn't appear that that is necessarily the case. So I, I think it'd be dangerous to jump to too many conclusions on that. I think this is more akin. And I completely understand where A's coming from. I think this is more akin, though, to to Steven Gerrard and Liverpool in many ways back in 2004, 2005, when Chelsea came calling for him. And in particularly in 2005, after the Champions League win, when he witnessed you know, fans burning his shirt outside the Shankly Gates and, and people spray-painting Judas on the, the walls of Melwood... That evening, when he thought that he was leaving Liverpool, Liverpool were even releasing statements saying what they were going to do with the money that they were raised from, from Chelsea. He had a panic attack. He had the club doctor come round to his house to try and calm him down, give him medication to try and get him through that panic attack. And then, and then spent that night talking to his family before deciding that actually it's better to be an icon at one club forever and to feel as if that is your home and you can always come back here than to burn all your bridges and and basically yeah become a mercenary go go off and 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 play for a team that will definitely win you silverware because that's what Chelsea would have done under Mourinho at the time and that's what Harry Kane would get at Manchester City but i i think that the, the damage to him 
would be more lasting than that. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure that that would the, the trophies that he would win at City in, in the long in the long run. I, I think he would suffer for for winning those trophies for his relationship with his boyhood club. Yeah, well, let's not forget. You know, we're in a an unrelenting, unforgiving business here, aren't we? You know, Pep Guardiola has confirmed that he wants Kane. Surprise, surprise. He's looking for Spurs to move their negotiation stance. Surprise, surprise again. Let's look at, at Guardiola. He's spent £913 million as Manchester City manager, and he claims they can only afford Grealish, let alone Kane, because they've made £60 million from Academy products. Now, I don't know about you, Aid, but he's been a bit disingenuous there, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, look, they may have made some money out of sales. Every club does, but yeah, no, this is this is this is the ownership flexing their their financial muscle, isn't it? It's as simple as that. It's it's nothing to do with selling in order to to then go out there and and and, and buy. I just don't don't buy into that at all. Well, I do think that he's probably got too many creative attacking midfielders now. So so there will be one or two casualties, I, I guess, this summer. And you've got to, got to look at Raheem Sterling. If I was in Raheem Sterling's position, I would be nervous, slightly miffed at the signing because, for me, Grealish does his best work on the left of the attack. And and that is where, where Sterling, of course, is, is at his best for Manchester City. So so that's an interesting one. Bernardo Silva as well looks to have fallen down the pecking order. So so it wouldn't surprise me if 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 Sterling and Bernardo or one of those departed for pretty big money in the coming weeks. But who's going to buy these these players? I mean that that's isn't that City's biggest problem and, and indeed I mean we'll come on to Chelsea in a bit but I mean Chelsea's biggest problem when they're trying to move bodies on to try and trim the squad is there's then because by very definition, we started this this show with talking about City, talking about the biggest clubs. You know, what's happening at Barcelona will come on to PSG at some point. But those are the only clubs that have the big money to spend on a Bernardo Silva. There's no one else out there to buy a Raheem Sterling. It's it's sort of, not least because of their wage packages. And I mean, okay, a club might find a clever way of spending £50 million spreading a cost over a course of a contract. And I suspect that's what Arsenal are going to do when they, when they go out and buy players this summer. But the wage you can't escape the wage. You, you have to you have to meet that cost. That's a that's an everyday cost, and there are not many clubs out there that can do that at the moment. Because mm. we are in an era, aren't we, Aid, where state funded clubs are setting the agenda, and, and obviously Messi put that into you know pretty vivid perspective. What I found most depressing about the whole messy mess if you want to call it <laughs> you know there wasn't there was a really poignant element to his farewell you know the tears weren't that wasn't showbiz that wasn't made up yet the ultimate outcome is probably the most boring possible going to another superpower funded by a state psg you're bang on mike it is the most boring destination for Lionel Messi. It's the most boring mega transfer ever, isn't it? Because there is only one place that Lionel Messi could could go and, and it's just so dull. It, again, it boils down to what to what Don was saying about who can afford him, who can afford to pay his wages. And, and, and PSG, it appears, are the only club out there that, that can because... Chelsea are putting their eggs in in Romelu Lukaku's basket. That's their that's their big spend this summer. Spurs are all out for Grealish and, and Kane. There's no one else. So, yeah, it's it's dull. It's depressing. But but yeah, it puts the pressure on Pochettino. I mean, it will be a joy, won't it, for him to 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 have Donnarumma in goal, Ramos at the back, and Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe up top potentially. If one of them isn't sold, I mean that is a dream for a manager. But but with that also comes huge pressure. And yeah, look, if they if they don't win the Champions League, Pochettino will get the sack. I think that much is clear clear for all to see. Yeah, I think winning the Champions League is now non negotiable. How do you think Pochettino will handle the sort of human chemistry that is being presented to him? Dom, you know, he, he is popular amongst his players 
you know, by by reputation. But this is a different level of of politics, isn't it? And and, and trying to deal with the complexities of the of the egos involved, the brands involved. <laughs> well, I guess it bodes well that that Messi and Pochettino apparently have already had a conversation uh, on the on the, the phone last week, and Messi took it upon himself to to ring his compatriot to to talk through the potential of a move to to PSG and presumably where where he would fit into it all, <laughs> probably in the middle of everything. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, look, but, but you know, I, I'm not not being daft. But Pochettino knew he had to cope with a few fair few egos when he joined PSG. I mean, that's and long before Lionel Messi was a was an issue. I mean, he's that's that club's biggest problem since the Qatari money came in has been the number of egos in its dressing room and and the fact that that you know that that seems to undermine them at that key moments in. In most Champions League campaigns, they suddenly look like a team of individuals when they should be a, a team, a collective. I think when you're putting that much quality in, though, and as I say, you could probably ask Messi to just just go out there and and, and play, and he he'd still he he he'll dazzle in league league on league. I mean, God, bloody hell, what are people at Lorient thinking at the moment? <laughs> Dressed, I mean, bloody Lionel Messi's coming, Jesus! I mean, it's 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 aston- astonishing, but. You know, Neymar. I mean, Neymar's been on holiday also, and Angel de Maria was also on holiday in Ibiza as well. I think they had a little. They met up with yeah, Messi. Photograph on social media. Didn't yeah. They? So yeah. it'll. It'll. It's. It's not as if he hasn't got friends there, people that he knows there. That 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 they will. They will find a way to to play together very very simply, and they are outstanding footballers. All. I mean, what what? You just look at that squad on on paper. And it is frightening. I mean, we haven't mentioned Hakimi. Hakimi is an amazing player that they actually spent money on, and and it's the supply line to oh, it's well, it's look, it's 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 almost like the the Barcelona team in its pomp, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah absolutely. It's yeah. it's an all stars. It's it's that they will wipe the floor with everybody in France most likely, and uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't do it in the Champions League as well. Yeah, and also it just begs the point, doesn't it, Aid? How can PSG give Neymar? I think it's, he's on thirty million euros a season. You've got the Messi package, which is going to be north of of seventy five, eighty million. <laughs> You've got Ramos, who's not cheap. Wijnaldum, who probably is in relative terms. Donnarumma, if we you've forgotten about that, you know they paid Hakim. They, they paid a transfer fee of sixty million for Hakimi. They're talking about losing. Over two hundred million in revenue. Yeah, just try and explain to me in in easy sentences, please. How on earth does this tie into any concept of financial regulation? <laughs> financial regulations are dead in the water, aren't they? It's it's over. This doesn't happen if there are proper enforceable FFP in place. PSG can't spend this kind of money this this season. Simple as that. And and they're taking advantage of the fact that, that everything's been lapsed, I think, post-pandemic anyway. While, while, while the world of football regroups financially, it's all been sort of put on hold and they're just filling their boots, aren't they? Because they can. And it's their chance. They've blown it in the Champions League on, on numerous occasions. And they smell blood. They, see, they sense huge weakness in Spain, which is clear. They sense massive weakness in Italy. You know, everyone's selling up over there. Really, it's 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 the Premier League against PSG, isn't it, for the Champions League this season? And they're determined to to outspend everybody in a bid to achieve it. If you've got it, you can't blame them. It it, it may it will make them despised. It will make them hated around the world because they are skewing competition. But if you're a PSG fan, <laughs> life doesn't get any better than this, does it? I'm not sure that the Xbox generation will will hate them. I think I think PSG will suddenly have a new generation of younger supporters mm-hmm. that suddenly spring up around That's the true. world. To be honest, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, looking at the financial markets on Monday morning, shares of all French clubs have absolutely soared. Well, suddenly, that television deal suddenly feels quite appealing, doesn't it? Now it's like we're going to see Lionel Messi play every single week. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, if we don't no, see him, we'll no, see Neymar. Yeah. Not a bad number two, I suppose. <laughs> what a, what, Don't tell what him a, that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, you know, what, how are all this, you know, I'll call it financially driven elitism. 
how would all that shape this Premier League season? And maybe, you know, we've talked about City. Let's compare the strategies for, say, Chelsea, Manchester United and Liverpool, who are, let's face it, they're, they're going to be the other three in the top four, aren't they? Chelsea, what are the pros and cons of, of buying back Lukaku? I don't see the cons, really. I, I think he's a, he's a, he comes back. Lukaku returns to Stamford Bridge three times the player that left all those years ago. He's a genuine elite centre-forward now. There aren't many players in his position that are comparable. You could put Haaland and, and Kane in there, I guess, and an ageing Lewandowski. But Romelu Lukaku is right up there at the peak of his powers. And, and, and Chelsea have always thrived with a dominant powerhouse number nine. And that was the missing link last season. Even though they won the Champions League, there was a missing link. And that was centre forward. And, and yeah, Lukaku coming in for, for my money makes them genuine title contenders because Tuchel's a master tactician, the real deal. And and they're outstanding, aren't they? Out of possession, very hard to create against. So, so yeah, I, I don't see the downside of, of bringing Lukaku back to Stamford Bridge. I mean, yeah, Don might have an idea. He's closer to the club than me. I can't, I can't think of anything that, that negative about him returning. Yeah, what do you what do you feel, Dom? How how you know we we asked how will Grealish fit in at City? You know, in in tactical terms, obviously it's pretty obvious the way they're going to employ Lukaku. But what are the ripples in the pond? You know, who isn't going to have their nose put out of joint because of this? Well, bear in mind they've already sold Olivier Giroud, Tammy Abraham. I don't think many people envisage that he will be at the club come the end of the transfer window. I suppose you you could argue that Timo Werner's nose might be put slightly out of joint, but in all honesty, he he's been better as a supply line than as a striker since he came to the mm. club. So if you've got Lukaku leading the line and any combination of Werner, Havertz, Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic operating... Mount. Mount, or, or Mount. Yeah, Mount, obviously. Sorry, yeah. I mean, again, he will play in one of those two off the front, front man as well. So, yeah, I mean, they've got... They've got so much talent from which from whom to, to select in, in those positions and it gives them a bit more adaptability as well. I mean they can they can certainly look to they could switch formations again. I mean there were there was a I think one game a way at Leeds where they played with a a back four in the Premier League under Tuchel and it looked a bit awkward, but you could you could see them even employing a four four two with Lukaku if they really wanted to. They've got that option now. It's what just shy of a hundred million pounds. I mean, bearing in mind that this is, we we talk about him arriving at Chelsea ten years ago as a as a kid from Anderlecht, but but actually Chelsea tried to sign him subsequently. They tried to get him from Everton, and they thought they had him. I think there was a conversation caught on camera between Emanalo and Lukaku in the tunnel at Goodison Park after after a game up there, where I think Emanalo says, "We'll see you in a few months' time." Well, <laughs> he went to United instead. I think he's got unfinished business. I think he I think he wants to excel at the club that he counted as his own when he was growing up. He had posters of, of um, Didier Drogba on his bedroom wall. I think this is something that he will want to to achieve and he can he can do good things at, at Chelsea and and as Adrian says he was that's what they lacked. I think their leading goal scorer was Jorginho was 7 last year, wasn't it? In the league yeah. so Lukaku will certainly surpass that. Mm, I suppose you know one of the cons I in, in theoretical terms, anyway, is well, you know, there's going to be very little resale value out of this transfer. But on, and on that, because the game has changed so radically, and I just want to almost take a, a tangential move here. Is it a really big gamble by Dortmund not to cash in on Haaland at this particular moment? Yeah, it's a good question. It is a good question. I think is it is it Dorman's choice not to cash in on him, or is there just a, is there no one out there that has stumped up the money that that they're looking for that has is willing to pay Erling Haaland the the wages right now that that he would command. I think I think everybody wants to play that waiting game for the release clause, and and Haaland himself. I don't think he'll be that fast because his, his the chances of him getting the the premium wage packet 
are much better next year than they are this. So it might be that they've come to a gentleman's agreement themselves <laughs> uh, between Dortmund and, and Haaland, whereby, come on, give us another year. Yeah, we'll, we will take the, uh, the the hit on the fee, but it will it will give you the give you the salary that you you command. I, I don't know. Yeah, from from Dortmund's point of view, it, you would have thought they would have wanted to cash in and 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 have that that bidding war. But it feels like with PSG going for Messi, City and Chelsea going for other people, Manchester United, you know, spending big big money themselves. There's no one out there really to to have Haaland this season. It'll be I think it'll be a next summer move. Yeah, I've, I find that puzzling, to be honest, because I I think he'd be a transformational signing for anyone. You yeah, know, in, okay. in, in in the Premier League, he'll, he'll, he he well, would score well, at least forty goals a season. What about this? If 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 Spurs dither too long over Harry Kane, then surely there's there's a possibility that that Manchester City will will, will dip their toes in the water with 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 a late bid. They clearly need a centre forward, and they want Kane. We've got a few weeks to go right now, so all their eggs are in that basket. But but they could easily switch attention with a mind blowing bid that Dortmund couldn't turn down. And and I'm sure Haaland would take a salary of of Grealish levels. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's a bad deal for him, is it? So so look, maybe maybe that story isn't you know has got got a few more twists to run. Yeah, it wouldn't entirely surprise me, I must admit. You know, we're in the land of sort of solid gold unicorns here, aren't we, Dom? <laughs> how, can, how can a club like Liverpool, which has got a much more balanced financial strategy, compete with all this? Well, I think Jurgen Klopp would argue that, well, that they did some business early. They brought in the defender to, to sort of Canate. strengthen... Canate. to strengthen... Yeah, to offer them another option, really. And after all the injuries that decimated their... Their backline last season that, that that made a lot of sense. I think he cost over thirty million, thirty-four million, I think. And he would argue that the returning players and the fact that they they're sort of schooled in the system that he was unable to implement last season because of the injuries. That that is he. I, I suspect in his eyes that's almost worth a two hundred million pound new signing coming into the into the fold. You got a Van Dyke back who can set the tempo of the entire team from the back and set the standard, really, as well. Canata can fit in alongside him. You, um, OK, they've lost they've lost a key midfielder in Wijnaldum, who, who actually, I think, played more than anybody else in midfield for Liverpool last season. So he 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 takes some replacing. But there are other guys to, to step, step up. We still haven't seen anything from Naby Keita over the years, really, of any consistency. We, there, there are guys there that will that, that need to, to show their pedigree. You know, if that front three fires again, then they're still going to be a real force. I think the landscape is a lot tougher now, definitely, not least because Chelsea have emerged. If they get Lukaku through, then they are a stronger team than than they have been the last few seasons. City are undoubtedly, they stepped up again. So it's it's an up big ask to get to get Liverpool firing and, and competing for the title. But But Klopp will look at it and think, I've got the ammunition there. I just need to get them firing again. Mm-hmm. What about Manchester United? Eight hundred and twenty odd million spent on on Sancho and Varane, but I don't know about you. Is there still a sense of almost incompletion there? That there's still there's still a couple of missing pieces. Yeah, I, I think the missing piece is in central midfield, in regards to a you know, world class dominator in there. I think obviously there's been a lot of talk of, of the young boy Camavinga. Coming in, you know, he could eventually be that that guy, but no, yeah, they're not the complete team. But these two, these two signings certainly put put them on the right pathway, don't they? Jaden Sancho, a wonderful wide forward that scores goals, creates goals, great age. He will elevate Manchester United's goal threat significantly. I've got no doubt about that. And Rafael Varane, even though he didn't have his best season last year. I cannot see him failing at Manchester United. He's too good a player. He's too. He's got so much pedigree. I think he just needed a new challenge, and and that partnership with Harry Maguire looks awesome to me. It really does. It just it just looks a tremendous partnership. I suppose in goal they've got question marks. Who's going to be the number one? That that one's a bit of a scrap. The other positions I don't see don't see a major issue. It's central midfield. What are they going to do with Paul Pogba? And, and who is ultimately going to be his long-term partner. 
Is it going to be that, that Scott McTominay becomes that sort of Darren Fletcher guy that just always plays, uh, even though he's not the superstar name? I, I rate Scott McTominay, but but if you're looking for for possible upgrades, then it is that position that, that, that I think they will spend big money on next. Hmm. How do you see the whole Paul Pogba situation evolving and, and, and being completed, Dom? Well, he was going to PSG this time last week. Appears <laughs> <laughs> to have been Trump there. I think PSG would much rather pick him up on a free transfer next summer when his contract expires at, at United. Uh, look, it's that is the big question for me and and, and United because because the prospect of losing him for nothing, having you know lost him for what did they lose him for eight hundred grand when they lost him first time round? Mm. I mean, it's it's that's pretty careless. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 how he. I mean, Adrian there is talking about a long term partner for Paul Pogba. It may be that actually there isn't a long term future for Paul no. Pogba at Old Trafford. Yeah. So you're actually thinking about reformulating your entire midfield and having a new midfield probably in place for next season, not this coming season. Uh, it's it's a big it's it is the big dilemma. It, it will continue to rumble along by the very nature of of his representative and his own character. He he will want to be in the limelight still. He'll he'll want to yeah, he want the focus to be on him to a certain extent. They both will. And and Pogba will always remain, remain that big dilemma really. I mean he was at the Euros he was outstanding in quite a few of France's games. But you know, Hungary he was he completely off the boil, completely off the boil and France surprisingly enough weren't great. And then he was capable of the sublime and the ridiculous in the elimination against Switzerland. I mean, he did, he did both. Scored a fantastic goal, and but also was played his part in in in, in losing the ball in the build up to a Swiss equaliser. So it's that sort of sums him up. And you just sort of want to see more. Of the, you, you, obviously, you want to see more of the, the brilliant Paul Pogba illuminating the Premier League. But but I wonder whether the contractual situation will will be slightly too disconcerting on that front. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see where you know, who would have him because if you're looking at Syria out, that's pretty much a black hole financially now. So it will be interesting. It's PSG um, again, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's PSG. Yeah. and that's despite yeah. the fact that his mother, I think, once came out saying that she she favoured Marseille more than the Paris Saint Germain, which which you know is sacrilege in France. You can't join the other one. <laughs> Um, yeah. They're all they're already but being protests. Wouldn't you wouldn't you love to play at Marseille in front of those fans? I, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, look if there wasn't if there wasn't such a bitter rivalry, Liverpool, Liverpool lack that sometimes lack that creative match winning central midfielder, don't they? That can just unlock the door. <laughs> it's not going to happen, <laughs> I don't think. But but he would that would be a destination. Liverpool is a strange one. I know that they've got a more balanced financial strategy and, and, and kudos to them for that. But you do you do think, you know, are they sitting on their heels a little bit here? Can they try and be creative? Maybe use a, a Sadio Mane or a Firmino as bait to land someone else just to regenerate that that team. It feels as if, as, as good as their teamwork is, their, their tactical prowess under Klopp, they look short, don't they, compared to the others if they don't make any more moves. Mm. Let's look at Leicester, who, lest we forget, are actually they've actually won a trophy this season already. <laughs> Quietly impressive in their recruitment as ever, aren't they, Dom? I, I think Pats and Dacca from Salzburg might have a real impact this season. What about you? Really looking forward to seeing him play. I've heard a lot about him, and he's one of these players that that actually weirdly sort of illuminated social media long long before it sort of became in, it came into the mainstream media's consciousness. A lot of talk about how he's 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 been tearing it up over there, and and the, the pace and the the finishing that he could bring. So that adds another dimension, and and it possibly relieves a bit of the pressure on Jamie Vardy as well up top. So, yeah, I, 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 it's weird, isn't it? Because we, we and everything we've said so far in this 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 podcast suggests that the top four is nailed on. That we know that who, who's going to finish in the top four. Well, actually, Leicester Leicester are the team that could probably realistically, most realistically, aim to to disrupt that the natural financial order as well. And the last couple of seasons, they've. They've pushed and pushed and pushed and then just fallen away at the last. But I think it's, it, they're undoubtedly making 
constant progress and their recruitment is clever it's shrewd they've got to find a replacement for Fafana now because he was he was outstanding last season if that's that long-term injury that will blunt them as well at the back so they need to maybe re-enter the market there but even even like shrewd signings and like Ryan Bertrand just coming in at left back for them I think that's just a, that's a really canny acquisition just someone just to to pay, you know, make sure that there isn't any massive disruption there. They can get by, adds to a bit of depth to it all. And I fully expect them to have another really good season. It's just whether they're good enough to break into that top four, I'm not so sure. One step ahead, aren't they, Dom? Yeah. Leicester City. And look, I'll be surprised if they haven't got a central defender lined up. I'm, I'm so, I'll be surprised. Obviously, they wouldn't have expected to, to have to replace Fafana right now, but they'll have lists and they'll... Yeah, it might have been for next summer. Someone there'll have earmarked, I'm sure of it. I did a piece on Patterson Dacker recently, studying the goals that he scored last year, 29 of them in the Austrian Bundesliga and the Champions League. Great range. So he's got the pace, he's got the movement. He's he's a carbon copy, really, of, of Jamie Vardy in many respects. But he's got that varied finishing as well. 16 with his right foot, eight with his left, five headers. So he's one of the most adaptable finishers in Europe. And this is the stat that really struck me when I was researching the piece. He scored one goal that was three touches. He scored six goals that were two touches. He scored 22 goals that were one-touch finishes. And when you think about Jamie Vardy, when you think about the ammunition that Leicester creates, he's absolutely tailor-made for the Foxes. And, yeah, I I think there's a realistic possibility that Patterson Dacker might be Leicester's number one striker by the end of this season. Yeah. Let's sort of begin to pull some of the strands together if we could, guys. I'd like your views on on the activity of, of the clubs with it, with which you're, you know, associated to a degree. Dom, Crystal Palace, it's all changed. Revision of recruitment strategy for younger value added players. New manager of course. Patrick Vieira, how do you see it all coming together? Um, you know, again, a little bit similar question to earlier. Pros and cons, please. Well, the, the, the pros are that that well, this needed to be done. You need the context of the eleven players leaving the club in the summer as well, uh, out of contract. I and mean, not all of them have gone. Actually, a couple of a couple have signed on for another year or two. But that was an opportunity for major wholesale change and. The club recognised over the last couple of seasons that, it, that the squad was getting older. It was the oldest average age in the in the division, so it needed to rejuvenate. It needed to be revitalised, and that's what they've done. And they've they've actually done on paper very very well in the market. And I like the signings that they've made. Anderson did well at Fulham, and he'll be in a relegation team last season. And they've got him for a good price. Mark Gay looks a, an excellent young prospect and, and a player that Chelsea didn't want to lose. Olise from from Reading when he's fit he's got a back injury at the moment unfortunately but when he's fit I think he he was the outstanding talent in the championship for attacking talent last season I think he'll do well Conor Gallagher will offer energy and legs in in midfield which is something that Palace need and they need to bring in I'd say two more than on, on top of that and I think that they're making they're making progress I know they're battling with Southampton at the moment for Adam Armstrong from Blackburn but I think the player has indicated that he wants to come to Palace. And I, I, I think the on paper, those are really, really good signings and exactly the type of signings that Crystal Palace should be making. It means that if the worst does happen and they get relegated, they've got some assets to sell. If they'd been relegated at the end of last season, they would have had nothing. They would have been in financial stuck now. So it's it's sensible planning. The cons are that we just don't know how they're going to do we just don't know how these kids are all going to gel and how they're going to a lot of them haven't played in the Premier League before and and there's going to be a certain reliance upon them they've got to they've got to hit the ground running with Palace and and moreover Palace have got a manager who's never managed in the Premier League as well in Patrick Vieira he's done well at Nice he did well at New York City and and I'm sure he'll look at coming to Palace and doing well as a stepping stone to to joining Adrian's mob (laughs) <laughs> at some point in the future. I mean, and and that's there's a perfect logic to that. I think I don't think many Palace fans would quibble with that because it would mean that he'd done a, he'd have done a good job at Palace. But those are the great unknowns. I, I think everything at the moment is positive. Everything at the moment is positive. Whether it will be positive when they're four 0 down at Stamford Bridge on the opening afternoon, who knows? <laughs> but there you go. 
Okay, well, we better get on to Adrian's mob then. Arsenal, I think it's 77 million spent so far. Obviously, most of that on, on Ben White. Linked with James Madison, Kieran Trippier over the weekend as well. How do you see it all fitting together? You've watched a few of the, the pre-season games, eh? Yeah, it, it, pre-season hasn't gone to plan. They've not really hit the heights that that the fans would have hoped for. Obviously, this is Mikel Arteta's first proper pre-season. So hopes are high that he'll, he'll get get into them on the training ground and, and, and take the team forward. But yeah, performances have, have been okay, but but nothing special. In terms of the new signings, they've they've all they all will add to the squad. Ben White was needed. He's got a bit of pace. He's a great distributor. So I think I think that's really important to Arsenal, especially now that David Luiz has gone. He will be pinging those balls across the pitch to Kieran Tierney. He'll, he'll be picking out the front players for fun, and he's a quality defender. The the best defender that they've got he, he instantly improves them so I'm really happy with that signing Sambi Lekonga looks great he's very confident wants the ball will play a whole range of passes just oozes class on the ball really not the finished article might get knocked off the ball a bit in the early stages if he hangs on to it too long but but he looks like he's a player with real potential um, and he might have to start the season with Thomas Partey injured Thomas Partey, by the way, was sensational during pre-season until he got injured. So that's a hammer blow. And Nuno Tavares is rapid, honestly. He's one of the quickest players you'll ever see. Defensively, his positional play needs work. He's a bit raw, but but his recovery speed is sensational. And and he's also got a very good left foot and, and, and he'll, he'll, he'll make an impact inside the final third. This season, if Kirantini's injured... And the chances are he will miss games, of course, given his record. Then they've got a more like-for-like replacement this time because he's so offensive. Now, there's still holes that need filling. Right-back is urgent. I feel that Arsenal really, really need a quality right-back. I I still feel they're short of a a box-to-box midfielder, someone that's going to go out there and score goals from midfield. Um, There's going to be a big reliance on Smith-Rowe, Saka and Pepe. But, but for me, I'd still like one of the central midfielders to chip in. So, look, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Madison's been been mentioned. I'd be happy if they signed Madison, but, but, but I think there are other parts of the field right now that are more in urgent need of repair. They need a goalkeeper to compete with Leno. And, and actually, I also think they need a striker. Yeah, there's a quandary at the moment. There's a massive quandary that, that Mikel Arteta is yet to, to solve, and that is what to do with the Bamiang and Lacazette. There's, there's no sign that, that that's been cured. He wants to put a Bamiang up top because of his goal record, but every time he plays Lacazette up front, he performs better and the team looks better for it. And Lacazette's goal record isn't isn't too shabby either. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a problem at the moment. Arsenal have a lot of work to do between now and the end of the transfer window. And that, yeah, that they seem too far off at the moment to give fans reasonable hope that they can go crash the top four. Yeah, I think you can probably say that, or actually amplify that in in terms of of Spurs. You know, Christian Romero, £47 million from Atalanta, gives them a bit more defensive strength. Brian Hill from uh, Sevilla, that would be quite an interesting signing. I suppose we draw it together, boys. Whose strategy or whose transfer window has impressed you so far out of all of them, Dom? Well, I like the way that, that Villa planned ahead for Grealish's departure. I thought that was clever. I like the signings they've made as well, although I think Buendia's still got an awful lot to, to prove in the in the Premier League. I think he'll he should be better this time round with better players around him than he than he was at Norwich last time. But uh, look, I I I find it very difficult to judge transfer windows. I think I, I, I'm pretty sure I would have sat here the last two summers thinking that Aston Villa and Fulham had done brilliantly because they spent a load of money on some very good players, but none of it worked, none of it gelled. And, you know, Villa escaped on the, the final afternoon and Fulham went down. So I think it's dangerous to judge a transfer window until until much later on into the autumn and, and towards the, the middle of a season. I... I like, as I say, I like what Villas have done because that's that's been quite shrewd, and I like what Palace have done because it was it was necessary. They had to do it, and they they've done it quite efficiently. And and uh, but you know, let's judge them later on in the season. Yeah, <laughs> Aid, yeah, 
Yeah, all fair comment, I think, for, from Dom. Absolutely. I, th- I think the Villa is the standout. To get Leon Bailey, who's brilliant, by the way, really exciting wide player that can create and, and score goals. I think he's exciting. Buendia was unbelievable in the championship, and I think he can. I think he's ready to shine in the top flight. And Danny Ings. To, to get those three players for the Grealish money is is really smart. Palace is great recruitment. I think I agree. There are some unknowns, obviously, because they're champ. They've played in the Championship, most of them, but I like it. The the other ones that I would chuck into the mix as the big success stories. It has to be Manchester United because they've they've finally got the Jaden Sancho deal done, and he he instantly improves their attack. And Raphael Varane, I think, is a coup. I, I really, I genuinely do. I think he him and Maguire will be a formidable partnership so yeah Manchester United even though they're still you know maybe one or two short that they've done excellent work yeah well you know I'd I'd add to the common consensus I think Villa have have, have spent that Grealish money really wisely they've added to their attacking potential and quietly they've given themselves greater defensive depth I think if the transfer window is football by proxy without the ball they're probably the summer champions The last word, though, I think should go to Lionel Messi. As he said in his farewell conference, players come and go in the end. Everyone has their price, however painful that is to accept. Fans make it personal. Clubs regard loyalty as a business expense. How does that make you feel? Please let me know. And in the meantime... Thanks to Adrian and Dom for their insight and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.